When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove podcast. We're talking the NFL, the crazy moves with the wide receivers and announcers as well. We're going to talk NCAA coaching hires. And we've got a guest coming on today, a MMA, MMA referee, Bobby Wambacher. So that and more, that's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove podcast. From Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network, you're listening to the Sports Stove podcast with your host, Vince Stover. Welcome in to an all-new edition of the Sports Stove Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Stover, and joined as I am most episodes by my dad, Dale Stover. Dad, how you doing today? Doing good. It's always great to be here on the Sports Stove Podcast. Yeah, we haven't, I don't think we talked today, have we, yet? So, uh, no, we haven't. Right, so who knows what will happen today? Usually we have a little bit of talk and prepare, but uh Nonetheless, here we are. There are plenty of things to talk about here in just a f- uh, few minutes. We'll bring in MMA referee Bobby Wambacher. He's uh, refed in over uh, 20 states and uh, all kinds of different leagues, including the UFC. And uh, so I'll chat with him and uh, talk with him about his career. And then also uh, an exciting announcement that Belly Up TV is going to host its first ever pay-per-view event. It'll be an MMA event uh, down in Miami, uh, a special Miami-based um, league or promotion. And uh, so we'll be doing a little bit more MMA talk over the next several months as well. But, Dad, we have you on here for the first part of the show, and we're going to talk uh, football, basketball as well, and a number of things going on in the world. Let's start in the NFL today, Dad. And uh, we've got another Number one receiver traded this week. Tyreek Hill from Kansas City gets traded uh, and moved on to the Miami Dolphins. And I have to admit, I didn't see this one coming. I had heard some talk about Hill could be traded, you know, back a couple months ago, but never took a whole lot of it seriously. And, and they sure enough shipped him off five draft picks: uh, first, a second, two fourths. And uh, what, a fifth, I think, maybe, was the other one. Um, let's start with uh, the Dolphins. Do you think uh, that they are now legit contenders in the AFC East? It sure looks like they are with the talent that they have. Again, if um, you know Tua comes through as a quarterback, they've definitely added some of the weapons there. 
And uh, of course, having you know a new coach, I think, yeah, I, I think you're going to have to rank them pretty high in their division for sure. And um, it'd be interesting. Looks like they made moves that should really help them. Yeah, I mean, they brought in uh, the offensive lineman from the Saints. They've got Javen Waddle from last year's draft. That looks to be solid. Mike Gusecki, the tight end. Uh, the question mark is still two, and you're talking about a division that currently holds the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you've got, of course, New England and Mac Jones, and then you've got the Jets who've made some decent moves so far as well, and they were in the running for Tyreek Hill also, uh, but Miami wins out. The big question mark is Tua, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Tua, if he is an, an above-average quarterback, they're a legit threat in the AFC, but... I think I've stated my my thoughts on this for quite some time now. I don't think Tua is an above-average NFL quarterback. Uh, so, obviously, Tyreek Hill helps Tua. Do you have any confidence that Tua can develop into something this year to make Miami competitive? I would think so. You know, I think it'll a lot of it will be up to the new coach, the system, how he handles it. I think part of it is instilling confidence um, from there. And then Tua is going to have to be able to be, you know, a leader in the huddle and uh, do that. But obviously we know he can throw the football. And uh, yes, I think there's a legitimate chance. I've always been a little more optimistic than you have. And um, I, I, I mean, they've got everything set up for him here. And um, I would think, yes, that, that, you know, he'll, he'll have a chance to have a good year. If not, then, you know, I would think this might be it for him there. Miami is doing what Cincinnati did. They're stocking up all kinds of weapons for their quarterback. And I think it's a smart move. I, I think it's a very smart move. Tyreek Hill, what he gives you in speed uh, and after the catch, those sorts of things. Jalen Waddell, again, has already proven to be a very solid wide receiver. Also, uh, Gusecki, uh, give or take, it's fine, whatever. Um, but again, the, the division's not easy. I mean, the Jets are going to get better. The Patriots are going to Patriot some way or another. Um, they're going to be okay. They're going to be at least a pain. And then Buffalo looks to be really solid. I don't know, Dad. Uh, I'm glad that we're not doing our NFL draft preview just yet. We still got a few weeks before we get into that. Um, that'll give me more time to kind of look over what Miami has and what they're going to become. But it's a crazy, crazy trade in the NFL, and it's not the first one. Devonta Adams goes to the Raiders. Now Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins. Who would have thought going into this offseason that the top two receivers or two of the top three receivers or two of the top five, however you rank them, uh, receivers, clear number one receivers gets traded uh, here in this offseason. I, I didn't see this coming with Hill or Adams, um, and I admit I'm surprised with both of them. Yes, I, you know, like I said, I don't think, you know, when the season ended, um, you know, we would have thought, and I don't know if a lot of people would have thought, you know, that um, that, you know, could happen. But I think obviously, you know, we've talked about the NFL is changing and it's changing all the time. And obviously teams don't feel like making a move at wide receiver is going to you know, may put them in a rebuilding process. Um, be interesting there, you know, again, as things keep going in the NFL, as far as offensive philosophies and how things work, 
Um, I don't know. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Does you know where does the run game keep going in this? And of course, you get running backs that can catch the ball um, from there. A few years ago, you know, it was like running backs were dead. You know, you didn't need a running back; didn't make any difference. Well, now um, I don't know. You know, and it'll be in right now that both these receivers, you know, Adams and Hill, are going to play a major part in the teams they're at now, and I'm sure those teams will key on them for their success. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're starting to wonder about, you know, um, being expendable is <laughs> definitely surprising. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Kansas City, they bring in Juju Smith-Schuster from Pittsburgh. They signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, on Thursday. So that's their one-two punch right now. And uh, I forget who it was that said it, but uh, who was it that said it? An NFL player said no one's going to be scared of the Kansas City offense without Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, you look at that West and what they've done this year, what Vegas has done, what Denver has done. Uh, you've got the Chargers that are growing. Um, Kansas City seems to be going the wrong direction here uh, with the moves they've made. I know you like Valdez Scantling. Um, you might like Juju. You definitely like him better than I do because I don't like him at all. So um, what is Kansas City left with? Well, you know, they're left with Patrick Mahomes. And a lot of times you would say, hey, maybe that can be enough. Um, you know, you got Andy Reid that knows how to set things up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. I think as we get close and talk about the draft, the draft is going to be very, very interesting because it's the landscape has changed with these trades. The number of teams that have first-round picks, where they have them, and again, this is supposed to potentially be, you know, a strong draft um, in wide receiver. Now, you never know, but there have been some wide receivers that have come in as rookies, and some have contributed, and some have been top receivers. So, um, you know, that that's where college football has gone um, as far as throwing the ball and, you know, and, and using receivers more. Maybe they're more NFL ready. Um but I think the draft's going to take a very interesting turn. And I wouldn't think our trades are done. Um, I don't know if there'll be any quite as big or as blockbuster, but we said a few weeks ago, I know I did, that um, I felt like there'd be a lot of trades before the draft this year. And definitely that's been true so far. And I think there'll be a couple more big, big ones. I don't know if it'll be quite, you know, with those named players. Yeah, I mean, you got Baker Mayfield. Um I mean, outside of that, I'm trying to think of who else would get, you know, I think anything else would be a big surprise. I don't think there's anybody out there in Mayfield. It's not going to be a surprise when he gets drafted. It's just a matter of where he goes, um, you know, and Seattle's the name you mentioned and, and it's a good one for him. And maybe that's where he ends up, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. They've made some big moves this off season too. They brought in three free agent, offensive linemen, three starters, a center, a guard and a tackle. Of course, they drafted one last year that wasn't that great, uh, but now they got the draft coming up, and maybe they add another piece or two on the offensive line there. But even if they don't draft another uh, offensive lineman in this draft, which I assume they will, uh, they've they've taken a big step and really a change of uh, normalcy for Cincinnati to be going out and getting these guys that they clearly need to help their offense. I, I'm sure you're up there in, in uh, Ohio, I'm sure that the uh, fan base is pretty excited about what Cincinnati's doing here this offseason. 
Yes, I, I think they think the team is definitely doing the right thing. Um, and again, bringing in <laughs> offensive linemen because, you, like you talked about, teams you know getting weapons for their quarterback. You know, Cincinnati, they're in really good shape. Now the thing will be, you know, defense. And again, you know, they have the draft and they have different things they can do there um, to make the defense stronger. But the offensive line, they needed they needed to, to correct. And boy, going out and getting three veterans, uh, you can't do much better than that. So, Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to see exactly what they're going into right now and how they're sitting. And one of the things that changes, you talked about the trades that have changed a lot of the, the things going on in the sports world. It's going to change the way the draft shakes out, including with uh, quarterbacks, because you've got uh, quarterbacks who going into, you know, even two weeks ago, the thought was the number one quarterback coming off the board could be in the top 10. So eight, nine, somewhere in that range. Now there's even talks of, uh, of the first quarterback going off the board in the first two picks, uh, in Detroit, they're sitting at number two. So, uh, a lot is changing in this off season and things that are going on. Uh, a lot of the pro days have gone on this past week. Quarterbacks we've seen work. Uh, and, and Willis, we've seen, um, the old Miss quarterback, um, well, I just, his name just slipped me corral, Matt corral, uh, there as well. You saw the pit pro day, um, and apparently hit the hand size there, uh, grew a couple inches since the combine. So there you go. There's some positive thing, not inches, I guess, but, uh, nonetheless, a lot of things happening. How many quarterbacks would you say right now? I know you haven't dove completely into your draft prep, but uh, how many quarterbacks do you think will go in the first round? I think definitely two will and maybe three. Um, I think, again, the thing that may change this is not a lot of teams need quarterbacks. Some do. And I don't think you have can't miss quarterbacks. You've got guys that get potential that you can develop. And there are so many other strong positions in this draft um, I don't think you're going to have to take a quarterback real early necessarily um, to get one. And I think the thinking could be, hey, early in the second round, if we can get up to the first two or three picks in the second round, we can get, you know, the, the guy that we want. So I, I, to me, that that's what it would look like. I would think a couple quarterbacks will be taken. I don't know, you know who it will be, but I wouldn't be surprised if both quarterbacks or if there's three taken in the first round, they'll all be taken by teams that move in the draft, whether they drop down or whether they move up a couple spots um, or make you know a trade to where they can get an extra pick, whatever it is. I think you'll see you know people moving around. Um, you know, to get the quarterback when they get to their spot. But I wouldn't think they would necessarily – somebody may go up in the top ten um, and, and and get somebody, but they're really going to have to want them to do it. So I, I don't know. You know, everybody knew last year, you, you know, New England had to move up, and you knew if you are going to get Mac Jones, you had to move up, and they sat there and got him. So, you know, this year I think it would be well, easier than that. Yeah, I mean, they did sit there and get him, but they sat there – because they didn't move up over Carolina um, and what Washington, I think was before them as well. But I, I don't know. I, so it's this episode airs March the 25th. I'm going to say it here. Now there's going to be four quarterbacks going in the first round. You're going to have Willis go first. You're going to have Pickett, 
You're going to have Matt Corral, and you're going to have Ritter from Cincinnati. Those four quarterbacks will go in the first round. Somebody's going to shock everybody and take one higher than anticipated. In the top ten alone, you've got Detroit that could use a quarterback. they got Jared Goff, but I don't think he's the future. You've got Houston who needs a quarterback. You've got the Giants who could possibly take a quarterback with Daniel Jones nearing the end of his rookie contract. you got Carolina that could take a quarterback. You've got Atlanta that could take a quarterback. And you've got Seattle that could take a quarterback. So that in the first first nine picks is one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the first nine picks that could possibly take a quarterback, um, whether it be for not necessarily this year, but you've got some teams set up like Detroit, and they've got a later first round pick as well. But you know they don't need a quarterback necessarily. But if they got one now, they've got Jared Goff for a couple of years, and they don't have to rush a quarterback in. Um, then you've got other teams. Uh, the Vikings, I think, are pretty well staying with Kirk Cousins for the you know next few years. So I don't see them going out and getting one. Philadelphia could draft a quarterback. They've got three picks in the first round. Pittsburgh could draft a quarterback, even though they signed Trubisky. Uh, they're at number 20. Uh, Green Bay, who knows, right? They got two first-round picks. Maybe they'll draft a quarterback. We never know about them. Um, Tennessee Titans, they're they're at a great spot, right? 26, uh, a great spot to take a quarterback as well. So you're looking at these teams in the first round. And again, Detroit's at number 32 as well. Um, you know, So there's, there's potential. Tampa, depending on what they think about Kyle Trask, who they drafted last year, maybe they're in, in the hunt as well for a future quarterback. So uh, there's a lot of question marks in the first round, a lot of teams that could go quarterback. So I am saying it right now on our March 25th episode, four quarterbacks go in the first round. Um, I would be surprised if five go, but I think there's going to be movement again into the back end uh, of the of the first round as well to come up and get a guy. So we'll see how it all goes. I think the first the first quarterback goes within the first seven picks. Not saying that one of the teams that are in the first seven are taking them. Someone will move up within the first seven. And it looks like Willis is the guy, the guy from um, uh, Liberty, right? Is it Willis? Now I'm saying it doesn't sound right in my mouth. But, uh, uh, okay, yeah. And I, I, he just he's rising, right? He's going up the boards. This arm is phenomenal and all this kind of stuff. Yes, he has his problems. But uh, right now it seems to be the hot name. He's rising up the draft boards. And I say he goes in the top seven. Um, and we'll get to our mock draft in a couple of weeks uh, out from now. Uh, so a lot happening. I'm excited to see how it all shakes out and see what trades and things continue to go. Uh, I didn't put this on our on our list, Dad, but Sedarius Smith signs with Minnesota. He played what, one game last year, two games last year. Yeah. Um, signs a three year deal. Uh, you know, it seems like anybody that wants to stick it to the Packers goes to Minnesota or Chicago. I got to say, Dad, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Zadarius Smith going going to Minnesota? Well, Zadarius Smith, when he's healthy, healthy is a real dynamic player. So to be honest with you, I'm kind of the opposite of you. When I heard he went to Minnesota, I thought, oh, that's that's not good because he's going to – he plays with a high energy anyhow. But as I thought a little more about it, he has had trouble staying healthy. Um, so I think that will be the issue. I think immediately if he, you know, is able to start the season, there is, he's going to add a lot to their defense. He adds a lot to the locker room. He adds a lot of excitement. Um, you know, it kind of made sense. You know, he said he was going to go back to Baltimore, but you got his, um, 
linebacker coach that's gone to the Vikings now. You have his old defensive coordinator that's an assistant coach or whatever he is there. Um, so, you know, I, I could see where – and they really wanted him. You know, I heard they put his name up big on the marquee when he came to visit and all of that. So, um, he, you know, he, he's a very dynamic player. He's a very athletic player. I don't know how much difference it makes in the NFL for t- teams that are familiar with players. Obviously, the Packers were very familiar with Zadarius Smith. Um, they practiced – And he, and he they, with it. They pra- yeah, but they practiced against him every day. And um, so it, it'll be interesting. I don't think he's a guy you have to scheme against, but he's a high-energy guy, and if he stays healthy, um, he'll definitely help the defense. I don't think there's in, any any doubt about it um, there. But, you know, again, the Packers had good linebackers. I, I mean, they couldn't keep everybody. Um, Rashawn Gary has turned out to be, I think, just as good and maybe more flexible and very durable. So um, we'll see. Uh, the other news in the NFL, Dad, is announcers news. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman go to ESPN to do Monday Night Football. And then uh, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet got to have to do the Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football games uh, as well. Of course, Mike Tirico uh, will be taking over and in the booth and uh, for Al Michaels. And Chris Collinsworth will still be there on NBC as well. Um and uh, so I thought that was really interesting that they, they both got to go together. It makes sense that Aikman wouldn't leave and go out on his own. Uh, him and Buck get along well and do well together. And the other one, Michaels and Herb Street. You know, Herb Street, I'm not a Herb Street guy. Not a big fan of him. I, he, he annoys me. But, um, but Al Michaels is great. I, maybe the greatest ever in that position. And there's been some good ones along the way. But I, I think in my lifetime, for sure, Al Michaels is the best at what he does. And uh, so interesting to see them signed there. Of course, the question is, who's the number one at Fox? Um, you know, how will uh, Tariko and Collinsworth called some games together? So they should be fine. Um, ESPN finally gets the big fish. They've been trying for years and have not been able to do it. They get it uh, with Aikman and Buck and and it should should add, I think, to the to the Sunday or excuse me, the Monday night games there for ESPN as well. Any comments on those guys before we move on? Well, I think I think the news, the, the trend that's happened this year, it's probably good for the NFL because we all know that the big money in the NFL comes from TV revenue. And so as people are paying big bucks to get into it like Amazon did, then they need to provide a good product. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have done that. You know, Monday Night Football needed to. They could survive a little bit because they were Monday Night Football. But, um, I, you know, they definitely have two good announcers now. It'll be interesting, um, and I'm sure they weighed all of this looking at it, but it'd be a little different situation for Aikman and Buck where when they were at Fox, they always – there were several games that people could choose which game they were going to do. And they always had the number one game Monday night football. Now I think they're getting, maybe they did flex a couple last year. They're getting closer to try to do that. But sometimes, you know, the Monday night football game is not the most exciting game of the week. Um, And, you know, will they make it the most exciting game of the week? Again, they've always, they've always been able to announce you know, the most exciting game coming up of the week. So, but they should be able to adjust to it um, fine from there. Um, 
So it, it should go well. Tarico, I think that'll go just fine with Collinsworth. That's been a great thing on Sunday night. And um, so, it, you know, but I, I think it's good moves for those two networks for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's something about familiarity. You turn on ESPN on Monday night and you get Buck and Aikman. There is familiar voices. Um, and and I think that will help them because uh, I think in the past there's just been – they've just missed on some some of these hires they've made in the past trying to find the right people. So they finally go to a proven uh, commodity in Buck and Aikman. And uh, I, don't, I don't think it'll hurt. Um, the question is, will it help for sure? Um, one other football news, not NFL, but college-related. Dad, we spent – Many a year in Tennessee. I was there 26 years. You were there 30-some, 34, 35 years. Uh, more than that, I guess, almost 40 years in Tennessee. Yeah, I'm um, 40, so. Tennessee Volunteers, uh, they get their guy. The first five-star quarterback in ages, Josh Heupel, brings in uh, the number four quarterback in the nation for the 2023 class. And uh, and then it looks like they might be landing a transfer, fi- former five-star wide receiver from USC. Um, is Tennessee – climbing back towards the top of the SEC. Yes, yes, I, I think they are. I think you could see that last year, um, you know, that he's moving in the right direction. And Tennessee's a place that, it, you know, if you have some success, um, you can recruit there. One, it's in the SEC. Um, it's a huge stadium. The fans, you know, are, are, are rabid there. And um, it's, you know, all over the state, not just in East Tennessee or just not in the Knoxville area. Right. So I, I think it's an easy, and, you know, I've read where some of these guys have visited. And it was interesting on this one because the mom came on the trip and met all the coaches' wives. And, you know, so the deal was, I think, now Tennessee's had their trouble. Uh, over the years with players getting in trouble. But I do think that's been cleaned up somewhat. And, you know, everybody always says it's a family atmosphere. And, again, we were in Tennessee. Um, You know, it's a good place to live. It's a good place to be. And um, so I I think, again, being in the SEC, that helps draw people. And, um, you know, there's some great teams in the SEC and some great coaches. We've talked about that. But uh, definitely Tennessee – Boy, you let them get anywhere near the SEC championship game, and they're just going to keep drawing people, no doubt about it. Yeah, and they're on the right side of the SEC, too. They're not in the harder division. <laughs> so uh, they got Florida, um, you know, Kentucky, whatever, uh, Georgia. But, I mean, they, they're definitely in the right spot. Hypo has the right offense. It's a draw. It's, it draws people to them. Uh, it's attractive for, for recruits, the kind of offense that he runs. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time since Tennessee's been good. And last year they had success, especially for what they've been the last several years. They had their quarterback, Hendon Hooker, coming back this year. He was a transfer from Virginia Tech. Um, they've got him for one more year. Uh, then they bring in the five-star. I don't know if he'll start as a freshman or not. Uh, with the transfer portal, you know, you might go get another guy that's going to come in for a year or two uh, before the, the the young guy gets gets his chance. But positive movement in Knoxville. And as someone who grew up in Tennessee, I'm happy for it. It's good to see good to see something positive going on down there. And you said it. I mean, the culture was an issue there for a while, um, but uh, you know, there's not been a whole lot to celebrate since the late '90s at, at Tennessee football. So uh, hopefully, they're getting some things turned around and some positive things there. You talked about uh, SEC coaches in football. I want to talk about SEC coaches in basketball. They kind of had gone the direction of getting some pretty big names in. Nate Oates came over from Buffalo for Alabama. 
Um, you know, you've got Cal already there. You've got the um, uh, Bruce Pearl that's there. Mike Leach is, is there now as well. He's in football, of course, but they're, they're bringing over all these names. And it's like you almost always were expecting big names to get hired. Well, the SEC had, what, five jobs? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six jobs open up uh, this year, which is a lot in one conference. And none of the hires were big-name hires. Uh, let's see. We'll run through them real quick. Florida hires Todd Golden from San Francisco. He was an assistant at Auburn uh, from 2014-2016. LSU hires Matt McMahon from Murray State. He was the coach of Jaw Morant when Jaw was there. Uh, LSU this year. Georgia hires Mike White away from Florida. South Carolina hires Lamont Paris from Chattanooga. He was an assistant in Wisconsin under Bo Ryan. Uh, Mizzou hires Dennis Gates from Cleveland State. He was an assistant under Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. And then Mississippi State hires Chris Jane uh, from New Mexico State, who his only D1 head coaching really experience before New Mexico State was one year at Bowling Green. There was an incident at a bar, and he was only there one year because he got to get let go after the incident. So um, the hires that go in the SEC this year, none of them are splash hires, but all of them are appear to be relatively smart hires, bringing guys who've had success at other levels and working them through. Are you surprised that there wasn't a bigger name getting hired in the SEC this year? Um, no, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you'd always look at a school trying to make a splash, but I think the deal here is, you know, you get a guy that's a good basketball coach and again, you know, it's the SEC, and I think they can draw people, you know, in. Uh, with the SEC, I'm sure you recruit and say, hey, you can come be the guy. You can help come take us to the next level from there. I mean, there's a few, you know, storied programs, Kentucky and others there. And LSU's had a lot of success over the years. But as a whole, I, I think if you've got good basketball coaches, and again, we've talked about this for a couple of, you know, in the next couple of years, where is the portal going to be? You know, is it all about recruiting now? Uh, for the most part, it's not about recruiting good kids and having them there for three or four years, um, you know, from that end of it. And now with the portal, I think it's going to take a few years for that to shake out. So if these guys can go get a player or two and they know how to coach, um, you know, they can, they can have success. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of success they have. Of course, Georgia taking Mike White. Florida was going to fire him. <laughs> Georgia hired him before Florida could fire him. And uh, I don't I don't know a lot of Georgia basketball fans, but there doesn't seem a lot of excitement around this hire. Mike White has had success, just not really at Florida. Um, I think the Mizzou hire, Dennis Gates, is good. I think that the uh, LSU hire of Matt McMahon from Murray State is a good hire as well. Um, and it seems like in basketball um, – you know, it's not bad, not bad to give these guys a shot. There's opportunity there. And some of them have risen uh, to the occasion. Others have not. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out there. And, and of course, we'll cover the, the NCAA tournament more in our Monday episode uh, as well as the tournament uh, is continuing on. Uh, Dad, before we let you go, the, the bracket uh, is busted. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not pretty. It's it, I'm in two different uh, pools, and neither one of them. I have a chance to win my my work pool just because everybody's brackets absolutely stink, and I had Gonzaga winning it all. And uh, you know, we'll see how that how that shakes out. But uh, um, I'm assuming your bracket is busted as well. 
Yes, yes, it is. So, but I started looking today, you know, and it'll be interesting this week. You know, there, there's one crazy game. I mean, Iowa State and Miami, you know, you didn't yeah. see that one at all. But a couple of games are going to be very interesting to watch. I'm very interested to see Houston. Are they going to keep going? And I think the Carolina-UCLA game could be really, really interesting, too. And all the games, I think, will be good, uh, be competitive, you know. And, of course, will St. Peter's keep making the run? I don't think so. I think they're running into the wrong team, but um, we will see. Yeah, if I was to look at it now, um, you know, I would pick two different teams than what I picked the first time, you know, to be in the championship. But that yeah. could all change after Thursday, so you never know. But Yeah, and we have to be careful what we talk about. We're recording on a Thursday night, and so there's games going on, and, you know, who knows who will, what will happen before this episode airs on Friday morning. And, and then we'd look really stupid. So, uh, oh well. all right, dad. Hey, thanks for being with us again, uh, today. And, uh, we're going to bring in another guest here, but, uh, thank you. And, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon, but we'll see you, uh, hopefully in the Monday episode as well. Okay. Good deal. Thank right. you. Yep. All right. So that's my dad, Dale Stover. And, uh, and again, appreciate him always coming on and being a part of the show and helping us out talking all things sports. So I talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, Belly Up TV will be hosting their first ever uh, live sporting event, and it's going to be uh, an MMA event, 305 Fights, uh, Miami-based uh, um, uh, league and uh, a promotion. That's the word I was looking for. And, uh, of course, for months I hosted the Belly Up uh, MMA show, and uh, then we've had Sam Alvey and Harry Hunsucker on the show before as well. Love talking MMA. And so right now we're going to bring in a guest. He's a MMA official. He's uh, refed in over 20 states. Uh, he's been in all kinds of different promotions. And it's Bobby Wambacher. Thanks for being with us, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Oh, definitely. Excited to have you on and, and excited to hear a little bit about your uh, your story and kind of how you got going in the career and I was I was doing some research on you, Bobby, and one of the things I learned was uh, you started off more as a fighter or training that that style before you began officiating uh, MMA. But would you mind sharing with us kind of what what kind of turned you to officiating uh, MMA? Sure. So so just like everybody else back in the uh, well, not everybody else, but a lot of us, um, you know, when the UFC first started and you know it was still new in the the mid to late nineties, you know. I used to watch it all the time, and if you remember, the UFC events, uh, they would have an event every three to four months, and it would be like a party. You would get a bunch of buddies over, you would barbecue, and it, it, it was an event. Nowadays, people that are just getting into the sport have no idea of how great of an event that was, but yeah. you get it every weekend. They're spoiled. <laughs> but uh, So I, I would watch all the, the events and you know I was like oh I can do that I can do that just like everybody else so I started training it when I got to Utah and I went to Jeremy Horn's gym um, and if you know MMA you definitely know that name and uh, I got injured so they had to do a procedure on my left shoulder blade and they had to leave it open because it got infected so they had to recut it open and they had to pack it every day and the doctor said you can't roll or grapple for six months and I'm like, well, that isn't going to work. Like, I, I, I'm loving this. And so I thought, well, what can I do to, to just stay involved in the sport, like, for the next six months before I can, you know, get back in there? And I thought, 
I'd lived in Hollywood before that, and I had gotten a flyer for Herb Dean's uh, referee school. And I had kept it because as an MMA guy, I knew who Herb was, and I was, you know, was like, okay, I'll just keep this. So I pulled that out, and I, I went and took his test and failed miserably. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought I knew everything about the sport. I thought I knew how to ref. I thought I got, you know, anybody could do it, and that's not true. Um, I knew the rules aspect of it. Like, I, I knew the rules, but I did not know the practical side. And by that, I mean, you've got to know all the holds that any fighter can apply in there. i got to know how to apply them. i got to know how to disassemble them. i got to know where the pain's at. You know, all those things that I had no clue about. So I went back to Jeremy, and I'm like, look, I've got to learn X, Y, Z. And he put me with uh, Demarcus Johnson. He's fighting UFC as well. And I uh, did one-on-ones with him to learn everything I needed to know. Went back past it, past nine others. Uh, found out I was really good at it and then had to get punched in the face. So I've been doing it for a little over 11 years now. So <laughs> That's that's great. It's funny, yeah. you know, uh, I, I, so I officiate basketball and, and high school softball. And it's, it's one of those things where when you're watching sports, you think, boy, that, that referee, that official knows nothing. They're missing all this stuff. And then when you get in the middle of it, the thick of it, everything changes. Um, and you do. You have to be see so many things. Uh, from the, Did you have a, a, a fighting background? I, I just trained to fight. I never actually competed in, in a sanctioned fight. As yeah. we'll <laughs> uh, uh, are, so do you have – are you um, – do you have a, a belt? Like um, a black belt, brown belt, anything like that? No. Um, so when I started training, it was just, you know, all the disciplines and um, most MMA gyms there, there isn't a belt per se. Um, so that's the reason why I, I just did that route. And yeah. uh, then I, I thought about going back just to a jujitsu gym to get my belt. Um, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> see what happens i'm a yellow belt in taekwondo uh from okay. back in my high school days uh so that's been a long time ago i, I you know i donated the belt to a skit room at a camp and uh <laughs> sadly have not done much other than wrestle my kids uh right. since then <laughs> uh so let's talk about your career a bit so you you've been everywhere um yeah i i saw that you at least over 20 what 20 some states uh it's 27 27 states, almost yep. 30. Yep. Gracious. Uh, how different is it state to state? Because I know there are some rule changes, some rule differences and stuff like that, but uh, how difficult is it? Um, speaking mainly about not necessarily getting the licenses, but how difficult it is to actually officiate fights in different states? Well, it's super difficult. Um, and the, the reason being is now we've got most of the states, I would say probably all of them, that follow the unified rules for the professional fights. So whenever, no matter what state I go to, and it's a professional fight, I know what rule set we're using. Where it gets crazy is the amateur rules. <laughs> so I don't know very many, like, out of the 27 states, I don't think any of them have the same rule set on amateurs. Hmm. <clears throat> There's always variances and differences. And the, the problem with that is if you've got a fighter coming from out of state, Let's say they train here in Colorado. The rule set is this, and then they go to Kansas, and the rule set is that. They've trained their, their fight camp for the rules that they know. Mm -hmm. Then they get there, and it's a completely different rule set. 
Like some states allow you to use elbows as an amateur. Some don't. Some allow you to knee to the head. Some don't. Some allow you to kick to the head. Some don't. Like, so it's very hard on the, the fighters. It's hard for me because, you know, one of the first questions I ask every state I go to is, hey, uh, what are the rules set? That's the very first question I ask when I get to the arena. What rules are we using tonight? For me, because then I got to relay that in a rules meeting to everybody else. But the fighters, you know, if they've trained a certain way for a certain style or to do a certain you know, game plan, when I break down the rules to them, like it, that can shoot everything they, they've, they've thought about. Mm-hmm. So I really wish the amateur side would have a set of rules and it just be consistent, just like the pros. Like if you're fighting a pro fight here in Colorado – we use the same rules as they use in Kansas, as they use in Nebraska, as they use in Georgia. As they, like, it's just as the rules. Yeah. So a fighter, a professional fighter, can go state to state to state, and it doesn't matter. Like They know what the rules are, or they should. Yeah. Um, but the amateur side, it's, it's challenging. So uh, it certainly presents an issue for the fighters and, and for myself. But, so it's difficult. Yeah. Do you, would you say there's a – I would assume anyone that's training for fighting, it would be easier for them to get into the idea of officiating MMA versus someone who has not uh, trained or anything like that. But uh, we always see kind of the same guys, right? So if we watch the UFC, we pretty much see the same guys every event. You know, it varies here and there. Occasionally see a guy like, oh, I don't really know who that is. Um, but they become kind of a part of the show to some degree. Not They don't necessarily take away from the fights at all, but everybody knows Herb Dean, right? Uh, everybody knows the the double braided beard. Uh, I always mispronounce his name, but um, they, they, they see these guys that become part of it as well. Um, now I'm not asking you for exactly how much you get paid, but uh, how does that work as far as varying state to state promotion to promotion? Um, you know, can you make a living off of being an official or do you have to have something else going on also? Um, you can, uh, depends how busy you are. Um, the states regulate how much you get paid. Um, okay. The UFC doesn't regulate that. The Bellator doesn't regulate that. And a lot of people have that misconception. Now, the reason why you see the same officials for the most part is we there. I'm trying to figure out how to say it politically correct. <laughs> Whenever a promotion goes to a town, um, they they have certain officials that, that they, they trust. Hmm. Um, whenever you've got millions of dollars on the line, you can't have an official who doesn't know what they're doing or isn't competent. Right. And, uh, you know, that would be really bad because at the end of the day, if let's say I'm, I go and I, I'm roughing that UFC show and I make a mistake, you know, everybody says, Oh, the ref sucks, but it always go back, goes back to the UFC and their product. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad or that's not good for them. So right. a lot of those promotions have a, have officials that they trust. Now the commission select the officials. The UFC does not. Okay. The UFC doesn't say we want to use Herb Dean or Mike Beltran or um, big John. Like they don't, they don't do that. They'll say, Hey, we, these are the people we you know, would like to use. Um, and then they, the commission is the one who actually makes the decisions for the mm-hmm. States. Now, the guys that you don't see, typically what happens is like when the UFC comes into town, they'll say, okay, we're going to use four officials. We're going to select three from your list, but we're going to have one of our local guys because he's worked hard type of thing. 
So that's how come you you the usually the third or fourth one you don't you don't know. So yeah, um, they're just licensed in that state. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting because you know again you look through different different avenues and different things and you see you know it depends on how much you watch I guess because if you're looking at other promotions you know the last couple of years with COVID and everything the UFC's kind of been in the same same towns for the most part. So you got you know, a little bit more consistency that way as well. But uh, it's interesting to see how it all shakes out. And and um, now you've done, how, do you know how many promotions you've worked for? Oh man, I'll bet you 60, 70 or so. Wow. <laughs> so how vastly different is the big guys, the Bellators, the UFCs, those guys versus the regional tours? What, what do you mean about how different? Like how the, different the fighters? I mean, obviously the level is going to be different, but how massively different is it when you're trying to officiate? Because, for instance, when I officiate basketball, if you're officiating teams that aren't as good, it's really hard to officiate because they're kind of everywhere and hard to see things. Versus talented, the more talented the team, the easier it is to officiate. Sure. Um, would that be true as well in in mixed martial arts? Absolutely. So if your amateur fighters are usually a little more challenging to, to referee. Um, and it's because they don't know, like for the most part, they haven't been in that situation. So they don't know, you know, how to react to certain scenarios, so to speak. Um, so their reaction is completely different. It could be wrong. Um, that's and when I, when I give my rules meeting and I'm talking to the amateur fighters, that's the first thing I tell them is, you know, I view the amateur side of it as basically on the job training. Like an amateur can go one in 99, right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. cares because once they turn pro, the record zero and zero. Hmm. So for me, like I, I now tell the amateurs this almost every fight I do. I'm like, look, it's not a matter of whether you win or lose. It's what did you learn tonight? Hmm. Like, what did you learn from that situation? You may have won and not learned anything, right? So it didn't really help you. Or you may have got your ass kicked, lost, and learned so much more that your next fight, like it starts coming together. So the amateur side is, is, you know, a little more challenging, mm -hmm. um, but you get to the pros and for the most part, regardless of the size of the promotion, um, you know, it's, it, once you get to that level, like it's, they know the rules. Like yeah. I got to reiterate them. Sometimes you got to reinforce them, but not always. <laughs> um, but the big differences be between like when I've left for the UFC or a small local one is their process. Mm. So like how the show runs, you know, like if you do a UFC or a Bellator or, you know, LFA or a B2, like it is a very strict time. Like this is when this person walks. This is when this happens. This is when that happens. And as a referee, that's nice to know because on the, some of the smaller local ones, like that you don't know what's going on all the time. <laughs> But that, that would be the big difference, I would say. And I, I'm sure that most referees would agree that it's the process and the, the procedures that they use. I, I meant to ask this earlier and forgot to, but how has gambling changed? Because you talked about if you mess up, especially in a big promotion, if you mess up, someone gets awarded a victory that didn't deserve the victory. Right now, across America, you've got millions of dollars being bet on these on these fights and now not only does it look bad on you does it look bad on the promotion but now you got people who are angry because maybe they blew their life savings on that fight do you sense that at all do you recognize that at all in in what you're doing 
Um, I don't I don't pay attention to the betting side. Obviously, I do not bet on the fights, whether I'm doing them or not. Like that's uh, that's a no no. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, a lot of people don't realize this, but you know, if you whatever decision I make. 50% of the people are happy with it, 50% are not. <laughs> if the fighter taps out with an arm bar, there's still people who think I stopped it too early. Right. <laughs> that just happens. So there are a lot of um, people out there that uh, they'll send messages. And because, you know, you know, we're in this world of social media where yeah. you, know, you could just be the baddest dude in the world because you're behind a keyboard and right. they can reach out and you know, touchy type of thing. So I'll get a lot of messages. I've gotten death threats. I've gotten all sorts of stuff over calls. And typically it's because they're fighting. Well, number one, obviously their fighter lost, but they don't understand the rules. They don't understand why they don't like, they don't grasp that. Like, Hey, you, I've had people give me death threats. Oh, I'll kill you next time I see you. I'm like, you realize that they tapped out. Like they, they went it out of the fight. But I just I just did what they asked me to do. Yeah. And then obviously they don't respond, but it's like, man. So we do get I, I can't speak for everybody. I, I can speak for some of the officials that I talk to, but I, I know that it's pretty harsh. Yeah. And uh, it's a very thankless job. You really hear anybody say, Man, that referee did a great job. Like if we do our job, that's just expected. Like yeah. And, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. I don't need recognition. I don't need a plaque. I don't need a participation trophy. Like I'm there for the fighters and only the fighters. I want to protect them. I want to make sure they come back. So my mindset is I got to do my job. Hmm. Now, some people don't view it that way and they think it's great to send nasty messages or, you know, make comments about your kids and like it, it is what it is. And you got to have thick skin. That's for sure. A hundred percent. I'm not going to ask you what promotion you like to officiate for the most, but uh, is there a state that you like, like to officiate the most in? Man, there's so many, like I, I've formed a lot of good relationships with the commissioners and, and stuff in all the States that I work in. And uh, yeah, there's, there's some that are newer commissioners and some that have been there for a while. Um, I, I don't know that there's any one that I like, better than the other. And I don't know that there's any that I, I don't like. Um, there's, there's been a few that I didn't care for and they're no longer there. Like, uh, they, they, they didn't last long. We'll yeah. put it that way. And so I don't need to say anything and I don't need to do anything. I just go in and do my job and, you know, people that are above my pay grade make those decisions. So, uh, are you familiar with three Oh five fights? I've heard of them. I've okay. never watched any other fights. I th- actually think I'm, Maybe had message with the promoter uh, back and forth on Facebook at one point, but okay, Instagram, so, Instagram. Okay, so I'll ask the question this way then, because uh, our our TV network is getting ready to. We'll have our first pay per view event. It'll be with three hundred five fights. It'll be. Um, we just started the TV network not too long ago. It's just been our shows and stuff like that on it. So now we're gonna start doing. We're gonna be doing basketball games later. We're gonna doing fights and stuff like that. Um, what can you say about the smaller promotions um, like three hundred five that it you would encourage people to tune in to watch? Oh man. I love the small, smaller regional shows um, just as much as when I do the UFCs or Bellators and stuff, because a lot of those fighters have something to prove. And when you get to the, the regional and local 
you know, circuit, they've got to prove themselves. They've got their learning. Um, it's awesome. Like I'll, I'll ref some of these fighters and I'll know in the back of my head, I'll see them on TV in a couple of years. Like yeah. you just, you could see it. And like I did Sean O'Malley before he got to the UFC. I think I did his last fight before he got to the contender series. And I actually had said that guy's going to be in the UFC in no time. Like you just get that feeling. And if it wasn't for the smaller or local shows, there wouldn't be a UFC. Like people, people wouldn't be able to follow it. Right. You know, there's got to be, you know, like the LFAs, you know, the, the, they call them the feeder leagues type of stuff. You know, that's where the UFC signs a lot of their, their people or, you know, promotions like that. LFA builds them up, they get a fan base, and then they get to the UFC and they're already at a fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, if there wasn't the local and regional, you know, section of it, you know, they would get there and nobody would tune into their fight because they would care less. Yeah. Like, whatever, who's that guy? But they get there and they're debuting on the UFC, let's say, or Bellator, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen him fight a few times, and, yeah, I want to see how he does, or, you know. So I would highly encourage anybody, if you've got the time, get to a local or regional show live, watch it on your, your program, whatever it is, because you're going to see some hungry fighters. You're going to see people that are trying to prove themselves, and you're going to see the next star. You just don't know which one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I became familiar with B2 because of Harry Hunsucker, who's fought a couple of times in the UFC now. He was on Contender Series a couple of years ago as well, but he lives just down the road from me. We'd not met until after he was he was on Contender Series. They had him on the show, but uh, nonetheless, those, you know, and that's, that's bigger than some of these other other promotions, but still, uh, it's exciting to see the talent come through and, and, and come through as well. Uh, Bobby, we're running out of time, uh, but I want to say thank you for coming and, and spending some time with us. Uh, would you mind telling people what's the best place that they can kind of follow you and keep up with you? Sure. You can follow me on uh, the best places, Facebook, and it's MMA referee Bobby Wambacher. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you watch a fight and you have questions, have a lot of people message me there and, you know, I will get back to you. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you having me. And anytime you want me back, you know, let me know. And I'm doing a B2 fight in Dothan, Alabama on Saturday night. So nice. Yeah. There's some, I'll tell you, from what I've seen, there's some really solid fighters in that promotion um, and definitely going to be feeding some people up into the, the bigger promotions here in the coming months. They've been doing it, you know, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, But I've just got onto it recently. So, uh, Bobby, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a fun conversation, and uh, we'll definitely get you back on as, as maybe we guess we get some of these other fights going through uh, to come back on and talk through some of the fights that, that, that happen. Uh, but thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Good luck. Thank you. That's Bobby Wambacher, MMA official. Sure appreciate him taking the time to be with us as well. Uh, I want to remind you all about Fantasy Baseball. Belly Up Fantasy Baseball Live is every Sunday at 8 p.m. And uh, myself and Kevin Wilson co-host the show. We give you all the the important uh, fantasy baseball news that you need. So make sure you tune in. That's on the Belly Up Fantasy Facebook and Twitter pages, as well as Belly Up TV that you can get on your Roku there's a Belly Up Sports channel on Roku. You can download that. If you have other streaming television devices, you can download the Tiki Live app, and you can find the Belly Up Sports channel there and watch Belly Up Fantasy Baseball every Sunday at 8 p.m. This Sunday, we're going to be ranking catchers, and then we'll also be uh, setting our fantasy uh, draft order, and then we'll have a live draft the following week as well, a 10-man 
um, head-to-head points league is what we're doing. So you can tune into that. Of course, uh, tune into other Sports Stove episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're on Belly Up TV, 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. Of course, we're always at the audio wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, thank you to dad for again, and joining me and talking a little bit. Thank you to Bobby for coming on and chatting with us. Enjoyed that uh, a lot. Uh, until next time, we will see you around the sports stove from belly up sports and the belly up podcast network. You're listening to the sports stove podcast with your host, Vince Stover. Hey, good